The Can't Wait Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. You've probably heard that before. And because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Yeah, there's all the games, there's all the sports on there, but there's more than that. There's concerts. We're in New York City. You're a Jets fan. You can get Broadway seats on game time as well. Hamilton, all the big shows, Phantom of the Opera, Chicago, down the list we go. And you can find your tickets, check out, and be off to the concert, show, game in no time because of game time's easy two-tap checkout. The game time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the game time app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. It's just Coach Gase, you know, the way that he game plans and um, really for us just going out there and executing. Well, that changed in a hurry. Everybody loves Adam Gase after the Jets' second straight win. Don't look now, but the Jets riding a winning streak. This is the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. And if you're feeling good about the Jets, hey, give us a five-star review and uh, subscribe to the podcast as well. We're going to get into it. You can also um, save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Of course, this the free episode every week. But if you want to hear every one of our podcasts, get that 40% off. Go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. All right, Connor, we're going to get into Darnell's performance, uh, what Greg Williams did to Dwayne Haskins, all of this stuff. We're going to talk about your food experience, which was mind-blowing, shockingly, down at FedEx. But let's start with the soundbite that we just heard off the top because there was a lot of love thrown around the Jets locker room for Adam Gase after this game. Um, we heard it from Christopher Johnson a couple weeks ago. Now Darnold's doing it. Just talk about how things have changed. It's like they're rallying around their head coach. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, the, the team definitely is. I, I think that that's something you can you can absolutely say is that the team is, is 100% uh, – rallying around Gase. I don't know if the fan base has totally come around to that. Yeah, yet. I meant that. I definitely strong. meant the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause because the fan base definitely has not, I can tell you that. I mean, you, you tweet anything about Gase and, and I'll, I'll let you, let you walk through my, my, uh, my mentions, but it'll be, whew, it's, it's, it's never pretty when you tweet something nice about that guy. I've never quite seen anything like it since probably John Idzik was the last one who generated that kind of an emotional fan response. But no, I mean, look, Adam Gase deserves a lot of credit for, for what this team has done the last two weeks. And I know that their opponents are not good. I mean, the giants are a two and eight football team, right? And, and the Redskins are now one and nine, those three combined wins between those two opponents. And when you're in week 10 and 11 playing these teams, it's not a good thing. But still, the Jets are are as undermanned 
as any team in the league. I mean, offensively, they, they've missed time without their left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. I mean, basically their entire offensive line is different than what they started the regular season with. They're, they're without Quincy and Unwit receiver. Now Chris Herndon came back, but then he's gone. Defensively, they're basically down to starting you, me, and Marissa, middle linebacker, with all the injuries they've had there. Their secondary is completely disbanded with Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson gone. Basically, the only... Uh, guy who's, who's remained stationary pretty much has been the safety situation with Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Everyone else, it's been a revolving door. And yet the Jets are still fighting and, and, and they're now winning football games and they're beating the Giants, which was a really good victory. And they took care of the Washington Redskins. And, and you know, the, the rest of the way here, there's a lot of teams the Jets are going to play where you can make the argument that they're not as good as that team or they're about equal on paper. Probably with the exception of, of the Cincinnati Bengals, who the Jets are are pretty much top to bottom a better football team than. But when you're playing teams that you are better than, you kind of want to show it, right? You don't want to play down to your competition. You don't want to, you know, let poor teams stick with you. You you want to, you know, kind of uh, emphasize your dominance and show your dominance and, and take care of that team and beat them down. And that's what the Jets did. I mean, 34-17, and this game was decided entering the fourth quarter, is a beatdown. They smacked the Redskins around their home field. They had the crowd chanting, sell the team to Dan Snyder. I mean, this was an ass-kicking by the Jets, and they really haven't had one of those yet this year. Even in their victory uh, that they had over the Cowboys, that was a close one. Even in the victory over the Giants, this was a close one. This was a team that they were better than, and they beat them up. I mean, they beat them up and down the field, and that's what you wanted to see. Gase got his guys ready to play. His guys went out there, and they played good football. Were they a better team than the Redskins? Yes. Did they look like it on the field? Yes. But that hasn't always been the case for the Jets the last two or three years. So this was a definite step in the right direction. I think that everything started coming together for the Jets. Darnold, obviously, with a career-high four passing touchdowns. The running game actually ran collectively for over 100 yards on the day. You saw Ryan Griffin get going. Jamison Crowder was going. Robbie Anderson Got a little involved there. Jamal Adams uh, well on his way to breaking the secondary record for sacks in a season at eight. So, I mean, this was a very collective good game for the Jets. Now it's just about doing it moving forward because the Jets should have beaten the Giants and they did. The Jets should have beaten the Redskins and they did. They're not supposed to beat the Raiders. This is a Raiders team that is in the thick of the playoff hunt, a Raiders team that is a little bit further ahead than a lot of people expected in their rebuild. And this is a Raiders team that's playing some really good football. And if the Jets can go out there at MetLife Stadium next Sunday and beat the Raiders, I think that will convert even the biggest pessimists with Adam Gase and even his biggest naysayers. I think that will turn him over. And and I know we'll get to this. uh, I don't know about this episode, but we'll probably get to it on Friday. Uh, when we when we really break down that game. But, I mean, this is a Raiders team that's flying from West Coast to East Coast to play a 1 o'clock game. That's not easy. And this is also a Raider team that plays the Chiefs after they play the Jets. So it's a chance for a little bit of a uh, trap game, if you will, where the Raiders could have an eye to the future, very much like the uh, Cowboys did when the week after the Jets were they were playing their division rival, the Eagles. So uh, I think that things are looking good for the Jets right now. Things are certainly looking like they might have potentially turned a corner. Uh, but but I think it will be a dramatic changing of the pace and certainly a completely different outlook on this team if they're able to win next week against the Raiders. 
You mentioned them taking care of business against the team that they should, and they took care of business right away. That was important. Again, going right down the field, first drive, yeah. fourth straight game, they score on their opening drive, and they made this one look easy again. Seven plays, 75 yards. Darnold on that drive, four for four along the way. Um, and you mentioned turning a corner, and you mentioned your story today, a meeting that I think you said three weeks ago where Darnold yeah. basically went into Gase's office and said, hey, let's go over the playbook, and they kind of – tore it apart, well, not tore it apart, but went through it, you know, and, and figured out what Darnold wanted to be running, what he didn't, what he was comfortable with. Um, how how big a factor was that? I mean, it obviously reads great and it, and it sounds great, and they started playing better after that happened, but is that a legitimate thing where Darnold yes. is, is simply more comfortable now with this offense? Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, look, a lot of people made – read that in a negative light and and, it, and it's not meant to be a negative light i mean this isn't like sam Darnold just started talking adam gase they've been talking forever in fact during the jets bye week sam went into adam gase's office and i don't think this has been reported yet but sam went into adam gase's office and sat down with adam gase and said look i want you to reteach me this offense as if i have never learned it before if i'm a brand new quarterback stepping in here let's go over it and for two or three hours during the Jets' bye week, Gase and Darnold on this big whiteboard in Adam Gase's office went through everything top to bottom. This scheme, this, this, that, the other thing. And Gase retaught it to Darnold. But still, it wasn't necessarily Darnold being entirely comfortable within the scheme yet, right? Because I think what people need to remember is that Sam learned an entirely different offense, an entirely different scheme with Jeremy Bates his first year with the Jets, which was an entirely different scheme and an entirely different everything from what he did at USC his junior year. So when he then got to start working with Adam Gase, he kind of had to learn everything over again and and start from scratch. He kind of had a little bit of a running start because he had played before in the NFL, so that experience does carry some weight, but he was still starting back from square one. So it was going to take time, and when then he had the mono diagnosis, which sidelined him for three games in four weeks, that stunted his growth within the scheme. So what Adam Gase has been waiting for is for it all to kind of click for Darnold and for him to go from kind of not, not going through the motions, that's not the word, but from him just kind of doing whatever the coach saying to starting to think next level of the offense and really taking control of the scheme. And that's when the Jets could take this from Adam Gase's scheme and make it Sam Darnold's offense. And Gase couldn't force the issue. He couldn't rush it. He couldn't speed this process along. Darnold needed to get there at his own point in time. It had to get to a point where things clicked for Darnold, where he felt comfortable enough, not with Gase, but within the scheme to go to him and say, okay, having done this now for this amount of time, having repped this this many times, having seen all of these different plays in games, in practice, and this, this is what I know we do well. This is what I know I do well. This is what I think we can still work on to make it so I do it well. But this is the shit that we need to throw it the hell out because it's not working and it doesn't work. And it's just running it again is just going to ask for a disaster. And again, there has to be a certain point in time where a quarterback gets to visually see and feel an offense where he's comfortable enough saying that because he basically has to take and feel so comfortable within that scheme that he then knows exactly what he likes and exactly what he doesn't like. This is not any kind of criticism on Darnold. This is not any kind of criticism on Gase. In fact, I know people were like, oh, how is this conversation happening after the Jaguars midway through the year? Guys, you got to remember, Sam Darnold sat for four full weeks. He missed a month of the season. So there's a very good chance 
that this conversation and this kind of feeling would have happened in like week two or three if Darnold hadn't been diagnosed with mono, but he needed to experience things that he could only experience by playing to get himself to a level of comfort within the scheme to then feel like, okay, now I know exactly what I want, I know exactly what I don't want, and now let's move forward with it. And since he's been able to make that adjustment, and since he's been able to come out and say that after the Jaguar game, then going into the Dolphins, followed by the Giants and Redskins, the guy's got a quarterback rating of like 101 or something like that with the touchdowns. And I know you know the Dolphin game kind of got away from him, but the thing to remember about the Dolphin game is that Miami had every single play that Adam Gase has ever run, every single practice that Adam Gase has ever, all of his strat- strategy, his entire playbook was basically loaded on their hard drives in Miami because he was their coach for three years. So it was kind of able to get Brian Flores a pretty good head start on defending Adam Gase in the offense and the scheme and all that stuff. So, I mean, that certainly played a role in the Jets' struggles. But if you still take that game into consideration as, as off as Darnold looked, and then you build off of the last two. I mean, you can see this guy getting those steps forward. And I think it was, you can't undersell that at all. It's the reason why I led the column with it after the game is that you now have a guy that is, this is this is now transitioning. Like I said, this is now transitioning from Adam Gase's scheme to Sam Darnold's offense. And now that Darnold is comfortable enough to come out and say all of these things and critique and, and, and have feedback with Gase because he now is that comfortable within the scheme, they can start tailoring it to fit Darnold exactly. And they just had to get to this point for it to happen. And that happened three weeks ago. And you're starting to see the benefits of it now. So 121.3, his rating in the game on Sunday. Um, it, it was the kind of performance that I think is perfect for what you want from a young quarterback because he made the mistake. He made the stupid interception that never should have been thrown and, and, that's going to happen with any young quarterback. Um, but he was good before that, and he was good after that, and he seemed to somewhat learn from it. But what you saw again from this one, too, that stood out to me, Connor, was he used his legs to create time and then did smart things with the football as opposed to using his legs and then throwing off balance. He kind of got loose, got free from the pocket. Now, granted, this is against the Redskins, so maybe he had a little more time to work with than he would against a better defense. Um, but, you know, he escaped the pocket when he needed to, created time, and then still seemed calm and didn't seem rushed. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that that, that comes to feeling the game, and, and that's something that some quarterbacks can't do. In fact, when you look at some of the issues that Daniel Jones is, is having with the Giants right now, a lot of that is, is presence within the pocket and just an innate ability to feel the rush coming and then be able to adjust your body and go. I mean, I had one coach tell me uh, not long ago that Daniel Jones is is the type of quarterback that they don't that basically he doesn't feel a rush until the rushing linebacker is tapping him on the shoulder saying I'm here. And that's kind of the biggest issue that he's having right now is that he just doesn't have that feel and that's what I had If coach only tell they me. would do that and just tap you on the shoulder and tell yeah, you Yeah, and say, "Hey, hey Daniel, we're here." But that's <laughs> that's kind of the thing, right? And and then with with Darnold though, he has the ability to feel that rush before it's there. And, it, and and it's similar in a way to what Peyton Manning used to be able to do. It's similar in a way to what a lot of these great quarterbacks, Drew Brees is another one, uh, Eli Manning to some extent when he was really playing good football with the Giants, where they can feel the rush and then they move away from it before it's there. And they reset their feet and they get going and they move on and they go out. And, and Darnold's mobility and movement within the pocket has helped him a lot in, in the face of these struggles on the offensive line. So, no, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think it was a, a, a good observation, and, and it's certainly something that holds true and, and something that the Jets like. 
So here's the quote from uh, Crowder after the game talking about Darnold. Now, Crowder had a nice game against his old team, 5 for 76, and the touchdown. Said he's still developing. You can definitely tell that he's starting to be a little more vocal, take ownership of the offense, which he should. That's part of the development of a quarterback in this league. I'm just glad he's taking the right steps to become a great quarterback in this league. It's just a receiver backing up everything that you just said and, and saying that they notice it. Everybody kind of notices what's happening. You mentioned the running game and it being more effective. Now, Le'Veon Bell was kind of the same type of numbers he had. He had the touchdown, which was kind of good to see him get into the end zone at least, but 18 carries for 59. Collectively, they were at 100. What stood out to me, and and I'm not taking anything away from Bell and the, the talent that he has, but sometimes he's the kind of running back kind of pauses a little bit when he gets the ball looking for that that hole and then dances and then hits it, which hasn't been super effective this year with this offensive line and how bad it is. Bilal Powell, there was a good stretch there where I think it was three straight carries and he got him down inside the 10 where he just got the carry, just took it off of Darnold and just right away downhill. The way this offensive line is and, and the way this offense is right now, is that style of running maybe more effective or was Powell just in the game at the right time to, to take no. advantage of a couple of runs? No, you were right. It, it's See, the way that the Jets are struggling right now with their offensive line is that they their biggest beneficiary or their, their, their most um, valuable asset within the backfield because of the current state of their offensive line is speed. They need a guy that when there is penetration, he can beat the defense to the outside and at least get two or three yards. And that when he gets the handoff, he just kind of sees that little light and just sprints through it because the Jets are not really in a position right now where they are going to block and set up and and a running back can be patient and just find the hole and then run through. Josh Adams, which is why you saw him start to work himself in there a little bit more. Bilal Powell, who you've seen be significantly more involved in within the offense the last couple of weeks. Those guys are a lot faster and have a lot more speed than Le'Veon Bell. When Le'Veon Bell is at his best, he's taking the handoff, he's getting to the line, he's pitter-pattering, waiting, finding the hole, then darting through. The Jets just don't have an offensive line right now that is conducive to that type of running style. They need a guy, because of their own failures and an aptitude up front, that can get the handoff and basically just sprint and get to a spot, get through, and get three, four, five yards, and the Jets can live to fight another day. So you're starting to see them kind of work other guys in. And and Bell is still trying to get involved. They're using him in the pass game a little bit more now, checking down to him, throwing to him. Uh, you saw him come out of the seam for a 21-yard grab, uh, which Dan Orlovsky, who, who does phenomenal film work for ESPN, highlighted today on Twitter. I highly recommend people go and check it out. So Bell is still involved within this offense. He's still doing some good things for the Jets. But as far as running the ball, he's just – he's not – the, the the type of player that the Jets need right now. And I think that's why a lot of the, the criticism came out around Adam Gase and, you know, when when the uh, shortly after McCagnan had gotten fired, like, oh, Adam Gase didn't even want Le'Veon Bell. Adam Gase didn't even want Le'Veon Bell. And that wasn't the case with Adam Gase and Le'Veon. Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell. Adam Gase also wasn't against how much Le'Veon Bell earned and how much the Jets gave Le'Veon Bell. His whole stance on the whole thing and, and, and the Jets' whole stance on this whole thing was that Le'Veon Bell is kind of like a cherry on top type player, right? He's the guy that when you got the offensive line, you got the quarterback, your defense is pretty good, and you're just looking for that piece to put you over the top and that piece to to get you from 
decent team to Super Bowl contender or playoff team to Super Bowl champion, he's the guy that you add. He's that cherry on top that puts you over the edge. For a rebuilding team that is not peace, but pieces, multiple, plural, a whole ton of pieces away from being even a playoff contender or really even finding consistent competence, he's not really needed, right? Because you look at this Jets roster, they still need a number one wide receiver. You can make the argument that they need a number two receiver as well. They need Chris Herndon back who's healthy. They need a new left tackle. They, I mean, they believe in Chuma Daga. I personally don't. So I think in a couple years, they're going to need a right tackle too. They can conceivably need two new guards and they need a new center. That's just on offense. On defense, they're going to need a new defensive end with, with uh, Leonard Williams gone. They're going to need, uh, they got to get their middle linebackers back healthy. They need cornerbacks one and cornerback two, and they still need an edge rusher. So this is a Jets team that is multiple pieces away from even getting to a point where they can think about the playoffs. They don't necessarily need Le'Veon Bell yet. If they were two, three years down the road and they were making the playoffs and they were just looking for a player to put him over the top, then they need Le'Veon Bell. Now, the Jets still went out and signed Le'Veon Bell. They're still finding a way to get him. Adam Gase loves Le'Veon Bell. He loves everything that he brings. He loves the leader that he is. He loves what he brings to an offense. He never didn't want him here. That's just completely wrong, and anyone who's saying that has no idea what they're talking about. But I think that what you're seeing now later in the season is why... There were some of those reservations where the Jets aren't in a position where Le'Veon Bell's running style can maybe work for them. And so you're starting to see them work in other guys to try to spring things forward to then open up things for Le'Veon Bell. That makes a lot of sense. And speaking of that offensive line and the struggles, well, they took another hit. As Adaga is day-to-day right now, what's the update on him uh, as we get going here on Monday? Yeah, Adaga's day to day. He's the guy that I think of of the two tackles that went down. He'd be less. I'd be less concerned about. It sounds like he's okay. going to be good to go. Uh, it's Kelvin Beecham, which is the one that Adam Gase brought up that kind of raised my antennas a little bit. Uh, made me a little worried. Is that he's the he is uh, re injured his ankle. He re injured an old ankle injury, something that he's really been dealing with back during training camp. I mean, I watched Beecham go down back then. I was I was standing right behind him when he got hurt, and uh, he's kind of been dealing with that throughout. He re injured that now. Gase has been pretty upfront and honest with injuries before. He he's been actually I should say he's been incredibly honest with injuries in terms of when he knows a guy isn't going to play, he pretty much tells you, "Look, this guy's going to be out." He didn't rule out Kelvin Beecham yet. He hasn't said anything about him being out or or missing significant time. They kind of say they're going to monitor him, see how he responds to treatment. So we'll see, but if the Jets lose him, they're losing a very very big piece to this offense because I know Beecham struggled a lot those first five weeks, but since Sam Donald returned in that Cowboy game, he's played. Uh, Beecham's played parts of three games for the for the Jets with Sam Donald under center. He's played the Cowboy game, the Giants game, and the Redskins game, and then also obviously he started the Bills game. In the four games, right, that Bills game, Dallas game, Giants game, Redskins game, in those four games, Kelvin Beecham has allowed two. I'm sorry, he has allowed four total hurries. No sacks, no quarterback hits. That's what Kelvin Beecham has done with Sam Darnold under center against the Bills, Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins. He's played that well. He is, I mean, that's 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 really good left tackle play. Again, a total of four quarterback hurries, no quarterback hits, no quarterback sacks. That's what Kelvin Beecham has done with Sam Darnold under center in which he started the games. The Jets desperately need him to remain healthy and back out there because they can't afford to lose him. Because if they lose Kelvin Beecham, 
even if Chuma Adaga can play, the Jets are getting weaker at two spots because now Chuma has to go to left tackle. There's a deficiency at left tackle. Brandon Shell has to fill in at right tackle. Brandon Shell is not as good as Chuma Adaga at right tackle. So the Jets are now worse at two spots when Beecham walks out. So they desperately need to get this guy back treated, health him, send him to a witch doctor because they cannot afford <laughs> to have Beecham uh, miss this game against the Raiders. Yeah, the O-line is bad enough already. Well, there's a lot going on tonight. As we record this, Connor, uh, there's a Monday night football game going on. You're trying to go 4-0 this week in our Can't Wait yeah, for Our Picks competition. That, yeah, trying to go 4-0, and that brings us conveniently to our DraftKings promo because weekends are made for football, and Connor is killing it with the picks this weekend if he can get the Chiefs to come through in this Monday night football game. Also, obviously, so much college football. The DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better with all the hoops and hockey action going on as well. The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and with so much going on, They have great promotions running all month long. Here's the latest promotion. This week, DraftKings is running a special NFL insurance promo. Bet on a team to win, and if they score at least 24 points, your bet is safe. DraftKings will credit back your wager if your team goes on to lose as long as they score those 24 points. Connor, who do you like in Week 12 to Well, you want them to win, but you wanted the insurance that they're going to at least score 24 points. Any thoughts? Yeah, Tim, I think, honestly, man, I'm probably going to go – this is this is a weird slate of games here. I'm looking at a couple of them. But I kind of like the Browns uh, against the Dolphins. You know, I know that they're dealing with all that Miles Garrett drama, and, and certainly that defense took a hit. But Baker Mayfield's kind of turned a corner the last couple of weeks. I mean, I think he's gone three straight games now without a turnover. Uh, the Miami Dolphins' defense is absolutely atrocious. So maybe that, that team gets going. You know, Chubb's rolling again. Uh, they got they got Kareem Hunt going in the backfield along with Chubb. That's a great one-two punch. Then obviously Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Higgins. I mean that's a, that's a talented offense. It's always just been a matter of of them coming together and piecing it all together. So four and six, they still got a chance. I think the Dolphins are absolutely dreadful. That game's in the dog pound. Dog pound. So I uh, I like the Browns. I like the Browns with uh, with that little insurance there from from our friends over there at DK. Yeah, so even if they don't cover, as long as they get to that 25-point mark, you are covered. And if you don't get the win tonight, which isn't going great right now, 3 to nothing charges as we record this, Connor. If you lose this don't one, cry. yeah, you'll be 3-1 and one for the week, which is exactly the same as Marissa and I. And we were all tied 5-7 and seven coming in, and that would make us all tied 8-8 eight and eight going into Week 12. So good stuff here in our little uh, wager. And don't forget the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting. So you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's turn things over to the defense now. And um, one thing to say about this, Connor, is however you feel about Sam Darnold, if you watch Dwayne Haskins on Sunday, you probably feel a lot better about Sam Darnold. He was bad, oh, and Greg Williams made him look worse. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think Greg – you know, what's, what's crazy about Greg Williams, and it's why he routinely has so much success against younger quarterbacks, is that he is – a master disguiser and he credits that because he grew up playing quarterback I, I can't remember I talked to him about it at the combine I can't remember if he played uh, quarterback in college or high school or something like that but he was a quarterback growing up and and he says that because he played quarterback 
that's why he's able to get inside a quarterback's mind and confuse him because he knows what he needs to do to, to, to throw somebody off. Whether that's true or false, I mean, he kind of has made a career for himself confusing quarterbacks like that because Greg Williams is known as like this crazy blitzer, but a lot of times he does rush just four or five guys. He doesn't overload them, but what he did, what he does so often and what he did a ton against Dwayne Haskins and the Redskins on Sunday was that he would put eight guys at the line of scrimmage. It would look like all eight were going to come. But then on the snap, four would drop back, four would come. But you would have no idea which four there are. It could be two on this side, one on that side. It could be three on one, then one on another. Two guys could loop. I mean, you just had no idea who was coming, when they were coming, and who it was going to be. And that's why you started seeing free rushers get by there. That's why you saw Jamal Adams get three sacks on Sunday. I mean, that's why you saw these guys get after it. Because Dwayne Haskins was at the line trying to adjust the protection scheme to say, okay, this guy's coming, this guy's coming, this guy's coming. But he had no idea who was actually coming. So on the snap, he was running for his life most plays. So, I mean, that's really what this defense did. But but the one thing that you also got to take uh, it's a consideration into, because the, the Jets blitzed a lot more against the Giants than they did against the Redskins. Redskins, they were bringing four and then playing a lot of coverage. But the two guys that the Jets have had starting in place of Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, rookie cornerback, bless Austin, and then Arthur Mollette, who's kind of been a journeyman, give those guys a ton of credit because they have been playing their asses off the last two weeks. I mean, bless Austin came off the pra- came came off the pup list. I'm sorry, the pup list, the place he was supposed to spend the entire season and not even play this year. He came off of that, took over for Nate Harrison against the Giants, and since that point has allowed four catches on 10 targets for 23 yards in these two games. This was a Jets secondary that was getting abused week in and week out. Tremaine Johnson looked lost. Daryl Roberts looked lost. Quarterbacks were drooling for a chance to throw against these corners. Bless Austin in two games, a sixth-round pick rookie has been targeted 10 times and allowed four catches for 23 yards. That's a quarterback rating of 47.9, according to Pro Football Focus. Haskins threw his way six times, and he allowed three catches for nine yards. That's insane. Arthur Arthur Marlette, again, a guy journeyman who, who I remember when he was taken over thinking, holy crap, the Jets are screwed. There's no chance this guy's going to do anything. He's been targeted six times. Or I'm sorry, he's been tar- yeah, he's been targeted six times. He's allowed four completions for 35 yards in those in those two games. I mean, these two guys have stepped up for the Jets and are playing remarkable football right now. I mean, they really are. Hats off to those two guys because Greg Williams is kind of having this freedom to blitz and bring Jamal Adams and do all these crazy things in large part because kind of for the first time this year, he's not so terribly worried about his uh, his two guys on the outside. Yeah, we'll talk about Adams. James Burgess, too, had a big game. Nine tackles, a half sack, a couple of tackles for a loss for a linebacker that's filled in in that that's. Obviously, much weakened linebacking core, but Adams for the second straight week, just a a huge factor in this one. Three more sacks. I mean, he's putting up numbers like a defensive end would put up, and he's a safety, Connor. He's just kind of taking over these football games. Yeah, I mean, look, he had he entered after he exited the game. I know uh, uh, Aaron Donald had two sacks last night for the um, for the Rams, but before that, he had as many sacks as as Aaron Donald did at six, and he had more sacks than Khalil Mack at five point five. I mean, I've never seen uh, a safety kind of make that kind of an impact, and and I don't really, I've kind of tried to figure out why Adams is having so much success blitzing, and I think it's because he's got such a unique skill set that makes him that talented to do so. I mean, obviously, he has tremendous speed, which is difficult for any for any offensive lineman to deal with. He has tremendous power 
which is uh, kind of, you know, uh, he has so much power that it's difficult for running backs or stuff like that to pick him up. But he's also such a, a smart football player, and he has such incredible instincts that he times his blitzes so remarkably well that a lot of times he's getting into the guy trying to block him before the guy trying to block him is ready for it. I mean, what he's doing, like you said, it, it's it's near historic. I mean, the record for sacks by a defensive back is eight. Jamal Adams has six with these games left to go here. I mean, what do we got five games left? And with the way that Greg Williams is using him, I think he brought him 13 times or something crazy like that. Well, I think ESPN had the numbers, like their stats and information where he, I think uh, Greg Williams bought Jamal Adams 13 times or something like that on Sunday. He averaged blitzing him five times the previous nine games or something absurd like that. So, I mean, he certainly ratcheted it up, but it's working. And as long as it keeps working, keep doing it because it's it's getting to the point where teams don't know how to block Jamal Adams. They haven't figured out how to block Jamal Adams. And until they do, he's going to keep having this much success. Yeah, Jamal Adams certainly working up a good appetite. And speaking of appetites, Connor, they shocked you. You went in with the lowest of low expectations, and FedEx Field brought the food. It's time for the Press Box Food Power Rankings. Get in my belly! Number 20 going in, I think, FedEx Field. They move into the top 10. Break it down for us. They were last. I mean, they they were they were last. They were the worst stadium I had ever been to. They were the stadium that you dread going to. They were the same. I mean, you it, it was when you when you knew that your team that you covered was traveling to Washington for a game at FedEx Field. You ate before the game because you knew that the food that they were going to put out was going to be inedible. And that was not, that's not a joke. That's what I was told when I started the beat and the Jets had a game against the Redskins. I was told by a veteran reporter, whatever you do, eat before you get to the field. It's going to be that bad. I think, honestly, it might have been Kim Jones, I think, that told me that at NFL Network. I think she was the one who said, whatever you do, eat before you get there. It's that bad. I mean, it was borderline inedible. So before I went to this game, Matt Stipulkowski, who covers the Jets for the Athletic, and I, we ate at the hotel. Like that, we had we both had omelets at the hotel, and we're like, "Oh, I so don't want to eat this. It's gonna be terrible. We're gonna be so hungry after the game. Whatever, we'll go get a good dinner." I showed up there, man, and I'm not kidding with you here. It was legitimately good, and I'm not saying good for Washington. They don't make the jump from number 20, dead last, basement of the power rankings. Into the top 10 at number 7. That is a jump like I never imagined. And even as I'm doing it, I'm like, I, I I feel like I'm dreaming. I feel like I'm dreaming. I can't possibly be a FedEx field. There's no way that this is actually good. It can't be going up to number 7. But guess what? That's where it is. Now, here's what I will say. My one criticism about FedEx, and we'll get into the specifics of the food in a second. But their basement is much lower then even the spread that they put out for us on Sunday, the basement was much lower than a lot of the other uh, stadiums that I've been to. Like their basement was lower than Buffalo, was lower than MetLife Stadium, was lower than than still the Jaguars and, and the Titans and the Superdome with the Saints. I mean, that was, they're still really low with the basement, but the ceiling of what they did well was so remarkably high that blew that it blew away Lincoln Financial Field and the Eagles, blew away Arrowhead, blew away Hard Rock, blew away Mile High, which is Denver. I mean, it really did, and, and just left MetLife Stadium in the dust. It was remarkably, it was awesome. And in fact, I ran into a Redskins staffer uh, who I actually know. We we grew up kind of in neighboring towns, and we connected later on, and and uh, when we both started working in this field, and he said, he goes, Connor. He goes. I knew you, New York people, were coming. So when I was putting together this uh, this stadium and the and the spread today, I knew I had to do it up. And I was like, Oh, here we go. 
So the first thing you do is they they gave you a pretty impressive both opening spread, which is when you first get to the stadium uh, and you have the pregame meal and then the halftime meal. Halftime meal was better than pregame, but still pretty good pregame. So take you through the first couple dishes that that the bat. We'll, we'll start with the bat. They tried to do like a shepherd's pie or something like that. Uh, they gave you breakfast potatoes. They tried to do like this other meat dish type thing before the game. All that stuff was garbage. It was absolutely disgusting. The shepherd's pie was not good. The the potatoes taste like a sweaty, soggy sock. The the meat dish I had to eat around, you could kind of make out whatever kind of meat it was, and you could eat it for some protein, but the potatoes and whatever the hell else was mixed in there was absolutely disgusting. Not good. Those two things I wouldn't feed to my worst enemy. It was really that bad. Really impressive fruit salad, though. Was, was happy with that. Nice little mixture of pineapple, melon, both green and purple grapes. That was pretty good. And their eggs. And I, I say this, and I'm sure people that are listening are like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? Like, they're freaking eggs. But no, like, I've seen stadiums screw up eggs like you could not freaking imagine. I mean, they really colossally F up eggs. Like, Buffalo gives you these disgusting egg cubes that are just nasty. So, to have actual, real, legitimate scrambled eggs at FedEx Field, which were immensely better than whatever the fake, like, dehydrated, rehydrated eggs you get at MetLife Stadium... It was actually some pretty good eggs. The bacon was crispy, but not overdone. Very, very good. Was happy with all that stuff. The real winner, though, of that opening spread, which made me say, you know what? This is not a basement anymore. I thought it would probably go to like just outside 15, maybe just inside 15 would crack that. Just based off of the initial pregame spread was their oatmeal bar. Now, you hear about salad bars and all that stuff. This was an oatmeal bar. So you had 100 different toppings. From chocolate chips to craisins, raisins, cinnamon sugar, granola, fruit, all these different things you could put in oatmeal. And I'm a big oatmeal guy. Like, I like it a lot. I'm a big fan of it. So to have, like, an oatmeal bar was a really nice touch. So if you weren't feeling the eggs, if you weren't feeling the shepherd's pie, if you just wanted something a little bit lighter, like some warm oatmeal on a cold day, you had that option. It was a really nice variety, which is, again, why coming out of this one, I was like, you know what? Just based off of this pregame spread, we got to get MetLife because at MetLife, you have only a couple options. It's these crappy eggs. It's for a one o'clock game, it's scrambled eggs, which are just the rehydrated, dehydrated eggs, sausage, bacon, and sometimes you get a croissant. Like that's all you're pretty much getting there. And then for night games, you can get something good. It's edible at MetLife, okay at times, but it doesn't have the variety. So I was like, okay, it's going to bounce up. Where everything changed him, aside from the, I'm a child at heart, so I absolutely love the soda machine. Like, you kind of see it at some fast food restaurants where you can pick, like, oh, I can add cherry syrup to my Coke and all this. Like, all that stuff. That was really awesome. Aside from that, the halftime spread, dude, was, like, the best halftime spread I have seen outside of Tampa Bay. It was it was that good. The food that they had, first of all, I'm a diehard Guy Fieri fan. I love him. I want to meet him. I would love it if he adopted me. I'm a very big Guy Fieri <laughs> fan. Have been, I've been obsessed with him forever. He's my hero. Love him. They had Guy's Chicken Restaurant. A Guy's favorite was the restaurant name. Catered halftime. So they had these delicious chicken fingers with kind of like Cajun uh, crab fries and 20 different dipping sauces for the fries and the chicken. That's the first portion of this. Chicken was great. Dipping sauces were great. Fries were great. Then they had hot Italian sausage with, like, peppers and onions. I personally didn't eat that because I was already pretty stuffed from Guy's Chicken. But uh, Stibblekowski, who was there with me, he tried it. He said the bun was a little dry, but the sausage and peppers were both really good. So he had no complaints. So both of those things, check that off the list, good and good. Then they had 
a massive nacho bar, which had spicy chili, which was actually pretty good, uh, nacho cheddar cheese, which you put on top, salsa jalapenos. I didn't see the salsa and jalapenos, but apparently it was on the menu. I just missed it. I was probably running because next to the nacho bar, and the nachos were good, ate them, they were good, was Cinnabons. And I'm not talking little dinky, gross, you get them out of like the, the, the counter and they're dry and they're nasty Cinnabons. No, these were homemade Cinnabons with gobs of icing on them. Dude, I must have burned through four cheat meals eating half of this thing because it was freaking <laughs> awesome. I mean, just gooey and mushy and sugary and cinnamony and all these other adjectives that end in Y that I can't think of at the moment. It was amazing. Freaking loved it. So I sat there eating this one, blowing up like a balloon, totally ruining every gym day that I've had for the last two months. And I looked over at like Brian Costello and he looks at me and he goes, dude, he goes, this is better than MetLife and this is better than Philly. And I was like, you know what, Cause? You're freaking right. So <laughs> how about FedEx Field from the basement of the slums of Disgustingville, USA, from last place, eat before you go there, all the way up to number seven. Well done, FedEx. I was very impressed. I'm a sucker for a good Cinnabon. Um, in fact, sometimes you see them on the shelf. And I was at a, uh, a bagel place um, near my apartment um, which has great bagels, and I won't say the name because I don't want them to, to have any negativity from this because it's a great, great spot. But they always have this uh, cinnamon roll behind the counter, and I always just get a bagel. But this one time, it always looks so good. It's calling out to me. It's got the frosting on top. Uh, the one time, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to get that. And I did, and it was dry and terrible, and the frosting oh, kind of flaked off. No, and it was just gooey, such man. disappointment because – a good cinnamon, a good cinnamon roll or cinnabon with the the fresh frosting melting over the top. I mean, there is there is nothing better. They could have had nothing else there for food, and I think they I would have uh, fought you to move them up at least five spots just for for a good cinnamon bun. Oh yeah, and like I said, man, this thing was warm. It felt like it was just out of the oven. It was it was remarkable, and it was. It was, again, really – now, it's not – like I said, the the reason why this is only seven and it didn't jump to Steelers or Ford Field or Gillette, Levi's, Mercedes-Benz, Raymond James, uh, the, those teams, like, to, it didn't, wasn't going to crack into the top five. is like I said, the basement and ceiling of it were so dramatically different. Like, the basement was so, so low compared to the ceiling that was so, so high that if they could just close that gap, if they could raise that basement up a couple tiers – you're talking about a stadium now that could potentially crack top five, maybe even get just below three to like yeah, yeah crack top five. It would, probably, it would probably crack top five if they found a way to replace whatever the hell that shepherd's pie was and disgusting meat mixture and just nasty, like just remarkably nasty breakfast potatoes. If they could just get rid of those things and replace them with something even just safer, like just find something safer that you can replace those meals with. You're talking about a top five press box. I, I still can't believe I'm talking about this with FedEx Field because it was so disgusting forever. But you're actually rocking and rolling now with this thing. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, like I said a hundred times, I'm, I'm, I was wildly impressed with it. Uh, if you guys want to see pictures of the food, I have it up on my Instagram at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Uh, or you can just search the hashtag PF or PBFPR on uh, Twitter or, or Instagram and you'll find it there. But but certainly you can check out the food, what it looks like and uh and, and see, but I was, I was wildly impressed, wildly impressed with it. I mean, we were talking for weeks, maybe a month about how bad it was and how little you were looking forward to it. So I'll say yeah, this. That, they, and Jacksonville too, man. Yeah. Jacksonville too came up with the, uh, that blueberry crisp, which wasn't that bad either. And now granted, like they had nothing else that you could eat aside from the blueberry crisp, which is why it only went up to like 19. 
uh, from 20 to like, jump basically the Titans and uh, the basically jump Titans and Saints. But still, I mean, that that I was really, really impressed with in Miami. Like this was back-to-back weeks now where Miami's press spread was great with the lasagna and the catered steakhouse like that. And then also FedEx Field that, that I was really surprised. And, and apparently, I, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but when uh, when I make the trip to, to Baltimore, I hear you get crab cakes in Baltimore. That is what I've been told by multiple reporters, that in Baltimore, you get crab cakes. So I am uh, I am very, very intrigued to try that. I mean, you better get crab cakes in Baltimore. If not, that's, oh, that's yeah. a crime. Oh, yeah. so, so I'll say this, 13-spot jump. I'm assuming that's the biggest leap in the history of the PBFDR. Yes. Okay. Oh yes, uh, 100%. That was that was uh, unprecedented and I don't know if we will ever see it again. All right, so so one thing we've learned is that the teams are listening. The teams are paying attention to the PBFPR and they are making changes to the menu. Connor, you're making well, you're making the life a better place for, a difference for reporters. Life, I don't think you're really helping the world in general, but but hey, I helping reporters is good. I, I think I'm helping the world. It's I good to ha- it's good to if I'm happy I like to think the world kind of like revolves around me. So if I'm happy, then I think everyone else should be happy. That's what I think. It's good to have a mission in life, and, and you've embraced yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see. All right. Uh, as we spoke of before, uh, Raiders preview coming up later this week. You're still losing. Uh, right now, Monday Night Football is going on, by the way, people. And the Chiefs losing early on. Still plenty of time. But if the Chiefs lose or don't cover, it'll still be a three-way tie uh, in our little wager, um, our can't wait for our pick segment between my Marissa Connor and myself. We will all be eight and eight heading into week 12. So if you, if you like competition, continue to root against the chiefs tonight. Cause we can't have Connor going four and oh, because <laughs> we just can't have that. All right. So everybody's feeling a little better about the jets having one, two in a row. How about the Mets Mets fans, the GM meetings wrapped up this weekend, Tim Britt and Pete McCarthy have you covered with everything that went down in Scottsdale new episode out this week from the Metrospective podcast. You can hear what Brody Van Wagenen said and didn't say about the Mets offseason plans. That's the Metrospective podcast. Just another great podcast here in the athletic podcast network. Uh, Pete and Tim do a great job with that podcast. Uh, if you don't follow Connor, you got to see those food pictures. So check them out on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Uh, I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Um, and uh, thanks again to Marissa, as always, for producing. We'll talk to you later this week on our The Athletic exclusive podcast. We'll get you ready for that Raiders game. Thanks for tuning in.